Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Father, we just um, quiet our hearts before you tonight. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, that you have been with us all throughout the day. And Lord, that even now, God, you just want to draw near to us. You want us to draw near to you. And I ask for that tonight, God, for all of our hearts. God, as we pray and as we fast and as we just seek your face, God, would you come and meet us here? I just pray, Father, for wisdom and understanding to be released. I just ask for a touch from your spirit tonight, God, a, a, just a refreshing from your presence to be released upon our hearts. And we thank you, Father, for the, the other ministries going on tonight, and we ask your blessing upon them, God, and your protection upon them. And Lord, for those that are teaching and, and um, laboring with the kids and the young adults, Father, we just ask God, strengthen them and release your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so this is session two of When Jesus Said Pray, um, specifically looking at the times in the, the Gospels where Jesus commanded us to pray, because we know we are supposed to pray. Um, but I just had that thought in my mind, preparing this, of when were the specific times that Jesus said to pray, and I wanted to look at those. What was the context, and um, why was he telling us to pray in that context. So <clears throat> a recap of last week, uh, we went through the Lord's Prayer, and that was all about us keeping our heart in proper alignment with the Lord daily, okay, because it was a, it's a daily prayer that we can pray. Um, we talked about daily, we are to keep our hearts, um, we are to acknowledge who He is, both as Father and Holy, Daily, we surrender our will and ask for his will and his kingdom to come. Daily, we ask for trust. We ask and trust for his provision because it's sufficient for this day. Daily, we forgive others of how they've sinned against us because he's forgiven us, right? And daily, we ask to be led away from temptation and to be protected from our enemy. And so last week, we just talked about that is keeping our hearts in proper line, alignment um, every day as we do that. And again, I don't look at that as like, you have to say the Lord's Prayer every day. <laughs> I just look at that like you can, and I, I like saying it, but it also is like a launching pad. When you have those points of like, what were the things that Jesus was telling us to pray? Those are a launching point to pray longer. You know, it's not just about praying the rote prayer every single time. Um, but you can do that, and I believe you can encounter the Lord doing that. Um, so tonight, we're going to be looking at two different passages, and this basically, I have a lot here, and I had to put this up here, so it's like, as I'm teaching, if you're like, what is she talking about? This is what I'm talking about. This is what I want you to walk away with at the end of tonight, okay? We're going to be looking at the passages, um, Matthew 26 and Luke uh, 21, which I'll read those in a minute, but basically, in Jesus' final hours... And in humanity's final hours is where we see two different commands where Jesus says pray in context to when he was in his final hours 
And in context to when we, that humanity, this age is ending, he gives a command to pray. And the reason I believe why he's commanding us to pray is because love is going to be tested. His love was tested in his final hours. Our love is going to be tested in humanity's final hours. And the way that we prevail through that in love is through prayer. And I believe that's why he highlights it. That's why he commands us to pray. Um, So I have this statement here, the increasing pressures as we near the Lord's return will put a demand on our prayer life like never before. Okay, so if that's all you get away from tonight, praise God. That's why I wrote it up there. (laughs) Okay, so we have to, we have to continually go back to the place of prayer for strength, okay? Um, Let's read these two patches, patches. Passages, passages we're going to get into. Matthew 26. <laughs> Starting at verse, I'm going to start at verse 36. And again, uh, this is obviously familiar. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So I'll end there. Because that's one of the passages, again, where he's commanding us to pray. He's telling his disciples, You have to pray, because if you don't, you're going to enter into temptation. And he's giving us, Uh, a principle. Your spirit is willing, meaning I know that you want to love me. I know that you want to follow me, but your flesh is weak. And therefore the the command is to pray. Okay, so that's in Jesus's final hours. And we'll we'll look at these in depth uh, in a minute. I also want to read from Luke 21, because it's in this passage. Um, again, we'll get into the context in a bit here. Um, I just want to pull out the part about the prayer right now. <clears throat> Jesus says, uh, Luke 21, at verse 34. Um, he says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. We're going to talk about that day in a minute. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus, um, again, we're going to look at the context in a minute, but um, it's in, when he's talking about praying that we would have strength to escape all these things, all these things, he's referencing things that are going to take place right before his return. So he's telling us in, in, 
the mounting pressures, the increasing pressures that are going to happen on the earth before his return, the thing that we need to pay, we need to pay attention to is our hearts being weighed down and the way that our hearts are going to not be weighed down is through prayer. Meaning we have to learn how to really pray, not just be asking God for things, but as we'll look at when Jesus was in the garden, an exchange is happening, an, an exchange of our will, an exchange of our desires, an exchange of what we think is right um, for the fathers, and in that place where we receive strength to rise up and do what God's asking us to do. There's a supernatural exchange that takes place um, when we enter into prayer. Okay. Um, so Jesus, in both of these instances, he's telling us we need to watch, we need to pray so that we have strength, he says, to escape, to stand, and to prevail against temptation. The strength we need is in context to the increasing pressures um, from a few different things that God is going to allow to happen on the earth as we near his return. Okay, so I'm going to get into those. Uh, we have to have strength to endure, and I believe the, what we have to endure unto is love. Okay, that is what Jesus is asking us to endure unto. Loving, okay, because think about this. What are the first and second great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second commandment is loving others. So when Jesus is telling us we have to have strength and we have to endure, we have to endure and be obedient to the first and second commandments, right? That is what we have to endure unto. It's not just that we um, give all of our money away and we die for him. The Bible specifically says in 1 Corinthians 13, you can give all your money away. You can do signs and miracles and wonders. You can um, give your life over and be killed. But if you don't have love, you don't have anything. So when Jesus is talking about you need strength to endure, I really believe he's, he's saying you need strength to be able to love me and love others. And as we look at, we're going to go through some passages that I believe are all about the Lord's return and the things that are happening in the earth. So it's kind of a weighty subject, okay? But again, the whole point of why we're looking at this is these commands that Jesus says, hey, you need to pray because these things are coming upon the earth and prayer is what will get you through. Prayer is how you're going to endure to keep a heart of love burning on the inside and that is what I want you to do. That is what I'm looking for from my people because that's what he did. Okay, um, so if we are commanded to love God and love others, then it makes sense that the very thing that Satan is trying to get all of us to do all the time, hi Heather, <laughs> um, is forsake love. The very thing he's going to try to get us to stop doing over and over and over again is to have our love grow cold towards one another, to become embittered, to be divided, to be frustrated at one another. Um, okay, so we're going to look at some passages now. Uh, Pastor Scott just released um, the word about being still and knowing that he is God. 
that he, he was feeling like that is, you know, something that we all need to press into as we're, we're in this fast. Um, and when you look at the rest of Psalm 46, has anybody read the rest of Psalm 46? It is an intense passage of scripture. Okay, we're going to read it. <clears throat> it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There, okay, I'm gonna skip the middle part because the first part is basically telling us like we have a place of safety and security in God, even though the earth is in complete tumult, right? The earth is giving way. Mountains are being moved. That sounds like earthquakes and catastrophic events. The water's roaring and foaming. That sounds like tsunamis and hurricanes and all kinds of stuff. But God is our refuge in that place. Then starting at verse 8, it says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. God has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So when this command is going forth, like be still, it's in context to the earth giving way it's in context to the Lord exalting himself amongst the nations and putting an end to all wars and bringing desolations to the earth. It's in that place that God's like, be still. Learn to be still. That sounds like he's giving us a command to pray <laughs> because our hearts, we don't do well <laughs> in the midst of massive earthquakes, massive destruction, wars happening, right? Um, so again, I, I hope I'm not being too weighty for a Wednesday night, but <laughs> um, Isaiah 24. So let's look at this. God is sovereignly going to allow that to happen. Isaiah 24 tells us a little bit of the reason why. Oops, not 42, 24. <clears throat> okay. Isaiah 24, it says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slaves, so with the master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people of the earth languish. The earth is defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. I'll stop there. Um, I'm going to go on to verse 19. It says, the earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. So again, here's another heartwarming passage, but it's saying God is actually going to allow the earth to be completely shaken, completely emptied of its inhabitants because of the sin 
that that humanity has brought upon it and it's like the 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 earth can't bear up under the amount of sin jesus has fully cleansed right he has fully cleansed all of creation but there's a process that has to happen before the fullness of that cleansing and his kingdom is manifest and part of that process isaiah 24 is saying the earth is going to die just like our bodies are going to die unless we're in that one generation where jesus comes back all of us are going to die um so the earth literally is going to fade away but revelation 21 tells us he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth so it's he's going to restore all things but this one that we currently are a part of is dying um, you know, there's a lot of environmentalists and that's a good thing because God loves the earth. He loves his creation, but ultimately it's, it's dying. The thing that's going to restore the heavens and the earth is Jesus returning ultimately. So if you want to be an environmentalist, then pray for Jesus's return because that is when all things are going to be, uh, restored. Um, oops, I did back to front. Okay. Um, so the earth is going to be going through massive, massive shakings, right? Um, there's also going to be, um, what I believe is the, the full, the fullest manifestation of evil on the earth. I've quoted this verse many times before Matthew 13, Jesus talks about that he is not going, going to harvest He's not going to harvest until there's a, a full maturity of righteousness and wickedness at the same time. The wheat and the tares are divided when there's a maturity of both, because that's the only time you can tell them fully apart. He, does, he doesn't want to get confused about what's wheat and what's tares before then, so he allows wickedness to come to full maturity um, before that time. So what does that mean? Um, as far as the fullness of wickedness coming to the earth. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9 talks about the coming of a lawless, lawless one, who I believe is the Antichrist, coming of a lawless one, and he's by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Okay? I believe there's going to be a man on the earth who... Satan himself is going to, I don't, I'm not thinking of the right word. I'm thinking of imbibe. That's not the right word because that's about drinking. <laughs> but fill, basically. Yeah. Jesus, man, yeah, Jesus was the full manifestation of God in the flesh. And I believe the Antichrist is going to be the full manifestation of the devil. It speaks of it in 2 Thessalonians um, 2 verse 9, and it speaks of it in Revelation 13. It says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, having seven heads. And to it, to this beast, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And the whole earth marveled as, as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Revelation 12 also there's this declaration going out, Revelation 12, 12. It says, O heavens, and you who dwell in... Um, it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. 
Okay. So <clears throat> I'm saying all that to say that I really believe there's really intense things coming in the last hour before Jesus's return. And that's why he's commanding us to, to, that we have to know how to prevail in strength. Um, Matthew 24 as well, Jesus says this in context to the end of the age. He says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Um, I had a dream this week. Um, so, well, let me, let me, before I say that. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Lawlessness will be increased, so the love of many will grow cold. And he's saying that in Matthew 24, which again is in context to the end of the age. What he's highlighting is in weak human flesh, the thing that is going to be tested is our love. Because betrayal is going to increase, hatred is going to increase, and, and sin is going to increase, and because of that, people are going to, their love is going to grow cold. So again, when Jesus is commissioning us, hey, you need to have strength to endure. You need to have strength um, to escape the things that are coming on the earth. I believe it's because of all these dynamics of the, the earth going through certain things that cause fear in the hearts of man to increase. Um, and then you have the coming of a lawless one. Like we get really upset when we believe wickedness is ruling, right? And, you know, it, even just looking back at the Trump, the last elections, and even now, um, people get really upset, but we have not seen the full manifestation of wickedness on the earth yet. That, what is that going to do? What is that going to cause in people's hearts as we see things happening? Um, again, I'm, I, I'm even thinking of like the COVID shot. How many people in here witnessed intense divisions with believers because of a shot. You want to talk about increasing pressures and people's love growing cold? It doesn't take much. <laughs> it doesn't take much. And so, again, that's why I'm like, Lord, I, like, teach me how to pray and teach me how to overcome um, the things that I need to so that I can really learn how to love like you love because that's what you're looking for. And I have to learn how to do that in the place of prayer. That's why you are commanding us to pray when you're speaking about um, these things that are happening in the earth before your return and commanding us to pray. Um, it's because the pressures are just going to increase. And that's not to make us afraid, right? Um, you think of any good coach. Who in here did sports? Anybody? I played sports, yeah. Any good coach knows you have to be broken down in order to be built up. You have to be pushed to your absolute limit because that's where strength is built. It's the same with muscles. Um, I remember even in high school going on backpacking trips and um, we would go for a week at a time and we'd summit mountains and we'd camp and we had no baths, no bathrooms. Does anybody know what a biff is? Bathroom in forest floor, okay? Yes. Whole week. So, but you got, you got pushed to your limit, but it's in that place that you begin to trust and you, you, you find how to lean on the Lord. And I believe that every difficult thing that we walk through in these days, it helps train us of how to pray, how to prevail in prayer so that I can love, 
right? There's always going to be things, relational dynamics, um, things happening in our life, uh, financial crisis, health crisis. The point is God will strengthen us in the place of prayer, and we learn how to prevail in the place of prayer so that we can love, love ourselves, love God, love others. Um, and I had a dream this week. <clears throat> I am not, I'm not a dreamer. So when I do dream and I actually remember it and it's vivid, I'm like, okay, I pay attention because I don't, I'm not a dreamer. But one of the parts of this dream is, um, Jason and I, we had the kids and we were on a, a trip, um, and we were outside, it was snowing and we were eating, but all of a sudden we heard dogs barking and I knew immediately we have to get to our tent. We were sleeping in a tent <laughs> in the snow. I would never do that anymore. Um, so we gathered the kids and ran inside the tent, but these dogs came after us, and one of them even got inside the tent. But these were not wild dogs. They were domesticated dogs, dogs that you would have inside your home, normal dogs, but they were bloodthirsty. And the reason why this was highlighted to me um, was because of the things that are happening in the body of Christ right now. Um, and again, it could, you could go really back to any time in human history, but it's just really being highlighted like our brothers and sisters that should be, I don't want to call brothers and sisters dogs, but I'm just saying, <laughs> um, people that should be domesticated in our family all of a sudden are turning against us and bloodthirsty, Okay. You think of someone coming after you to accuse you, whatever, would be like a wild dog. But these weren't. These were domesticated dogs that should be friendly, that should be in your home, and they were coming after us. Um, and Jesus, again, he says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Betrayal and hatred is going to increase even amongst believers. And that's why we have to be so careful of what we're doing with our heart, what we're allowing in our minds about one another and going back to the Lord's prayer, forgiving, forgiving, because when we don't, we can begin, it, it, it changes the way we think about other people. It changes our perception and you go in that vein long enough and you cannot see straight. Um, we're commanded to love each other fervently. And that is going to be essential because of the amount, the mounting pressures from the things that I just talked about, those passages that um, I talked about. Um, you know, I have a friend right now who she's, um, I, don't, I don't know if anybody knows anything about the IHOP KC scandal that's happening right now. Um, but essentially, uh, the House of Prayer has been established for decades, and um, there, the main leader, Mike Bickle, there's allegations against him right now of clergy sexual abuse. And um, I have a friend that basically works with Beneath, she has worked for her for years in missions, the woman, the Jane Doe that is basically accusing Mike Bickle. I have a friend that has worked beneath her. She obviously believes the leader that she's been under for a long time and the things that she's experienced. So my friend is engaged to someone else who has been part of the IHOP Casey missions base for years. They're engaged. They're getting married. They were engaged before this whole allegation came out. Since this allegation came out, um, the, the, the fiancé's parents are basically trying to break up this marriage 
because of this allegation. So I'm just saying that these types of things happen. Our love, I mean, we have to learn how to love <laughs> because brothers and sisters are turning against one another um, in some really intense ways for things that, again, like in light of eternity, it's, it's, it's just mind-blowing. Um, so I'm just seeing it all over the place right now. We have to think about something. The enemy has been around since the creation of the world. Um, how old are you and I? He's been around since the creation of the world. So how much experience does he have? And how much experience do we have? He has a lot of experience in knowing how exactly to stop love. And he's really good at it. He studies us, he knows us, he understands us, he knows what will make us turn against one another, make us be frustrated at one another, make our love grow cold, make us be bitter against one another. He knows, okay? But he knows how to um, make us get frustrated at God, turn away from God. So he uses all the contexts, especially as we near the Lord's return, all those contexts to do exactly that. Steal our faith, Prevent us from loving God, preventing us, prevent us from loving one another. Um, but Jesus has a simple, simple solution, and it's so simple that we don't do it a lot <laughs> because we get caught up, so caught up in the circumstances, in the situations, our emotions are involved. Um, we like to fix things. I like to fix situations, and usually when I do that, I make it worse but I think I'm really, really doing a good job of fixing. And Jason can probably tell you after 12 years of marriage, that has never worked, <laughs> ever. Um, we are learning, we are learning. So he tells us to pray, but prayer is not just a religious duty. It's not just a religious duty that we're doing. When he's commanding us to pray and when, when, when we're telling each other, like, hey, you need to pray about this, we're not just trying to be religious. I can't be religious in the place of prayer because it's too costly. I get too caught up in my emotions. I get too caught up in the worries of the day and little religious platitudes don't do anything. And I want my heart to be alive. I want my heart to be full of love for God, full of love for my husband, full of love for my kids, full of love for those people I'm walking around. And it doesn't work if we just do religious platitudes and go and spend a little bit of time with the Lord because we know that we should. We have work <laughs> to do. I have work to do in my heart in order to get me to that place of strength so I can endure, right? And this is what we have to teach our kids how to do. <laughs> um, prayer is the place of a life laid down on the altar, handing over control, handing over wounds, handing over unknowing, handing over fear, handing over frustration, handing over what we think things should look like. And I don't want you to think that, you know, oh, if I just go in a place of prayer, like, 
I know there's a process, okay? <laughs> but all I'm saying is that prayer has to be the, the reality that we have to go to that place if our heart is struggling. And if our love is growing cold, we have to go, we have to go into the place of prayer. If we're forsaking that place and we're not in that place of communion with the Father, that's a dangerous place because we will go to a whole host of other things, which Jesus talks about. Oh my goodness. I might need a fourth week. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mike said he was praying for me a lot today. I was like, yeah, I need it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> okay, let me see where I want to go. Let's just go into Matthew 26 when it, uh, at Jesus' last prayer. So Matthew 26, verse 36 through 41. Um, but first, uh, I'm going to read a John 14, verse 30 through 31. Jesus said, this is, when, when Jesus says this, he's at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's been teaching them. And he says, I will no longer, so this is before the Garden of Gethsemane is what I'm saying. Um, so in John 14, he said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Okay? Um, then in John 18, it says that Jesus was going out across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which would have been the Garden of Gethsemane. So think about this. You have Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he's already said, you know, he's going to have someone betray him. He knows it's coming. And then he tells them, um, I, ha I have to do something and be obedient to the Father, and that's the way that the world's going to know that I love the Father. It's through obedience. I recently heard this quote um, by a teaching series Jason and I are listening to. It says, God's love language to us is mercy and grace, and our love language to the Father is obedience. Our love language to him is obedience. So when Jesus was saying, um, as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love him, I'm, I'm going. I'm going out to do this thing that the Father has for me. Not because I want to, because we get into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's literally on his knees praying, if there is any way that I can get out of this. Please, let me get out of this, right? The, the reason why he was, he was in so much turmoil, that when Jesus was going to the cross, it was obviously a physical, horrific physical death, but then the spiritual implications, when Jesus hung on the cross, the Father turned his face away because Jesus became sin on the cross and he became a curse. And the father turned his face away from Jesus and he had to go into the depths of hell. And that's something we'll never have to experience. But Jesus did that for us. So Jesus, he knew the physical ramifications of what he was about to do and he knew the spiritual ramifications too. I mean, imagine being one that was in the full glory of God since the creation of the earth and you knew there was going to be this moment when that was completely shut out because you are allowing all the sins of humanity and the fullness of the Father's wrath to come upon you. So he didn't want, um, in his flesh, in, and I don't know how all this works. I'm not a theologian, and I'm not, I, I'm not making big statements. I'm just saying, as a man, he was like, if there is any other way, I don't want to do this. And so he went to the place of prayer in order 
to be obedient to the Father in order to rise up and go do what in his flesh he didn't want to do. There was an exchange that took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, This is an interesting thought that I had when I was preparing this. So Adam and Eve, they were in the place of absolute paradise in the presence of God. Absolute paradise in the Garden of Eden. That, That word Eden means paradise. Adam and Eve, complete paradise, absolute presence of God, disobeyed. Almost like zero pressure, right? Zero pressure. (laughs) They had abundance of food, amazing water, paradise, zero pressure, disobeyed. (laughs) They were deceived, but still. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press, okay? It means oil press. And that's exactly what he was submitting his life to, was to be pressed In order for obedience and love to be made manifest, it was in the place of intense pressure, his life being poured out. Psalm 40 verse 7 says, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written to me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Jesus knew that when he was coming, he was was going to do the will of the Father. Um, And he knew what was going to take place. So as he was kneeling again, it's like he had full understanding of what was coming, but he had to pour himself out in the place of prayer to be pressed in order to be obedient the way that the father wanted him to. Um, So again, think about this. The spirit of Jesus that prevailed in the place of prayer that allowed him to be obedient even to the point of death is the same spirit that we have been given And then he begins teaching us about the things that are going to come to pass at the end of the age. And then he tells us, pray. Pray so that you don't enter into temptation. Pray so that you can escape the things that are coming upon the face of the earth. Pray so that you have strength to stand before the Son of Man. So there is no strength apart from receiving from the Father. There, is simply, there was simply no way that Jesus could endure and be faithful until death apart from laying his life and his heart down in the place of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew, he knelt down to pour his life out to the Lord even in his final moments surrounding, surrendering, sorry, surrendering his will to the Father's. He was literally praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? He was praying the Lord's Prayer at the end. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will. And then Jesus tells us, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we know we have a battle between the flesh and the spirit all the time. And so Jesus, as a man, went to prayer in order to fulfill what he was called to do and in order to make it through what um, the Father asked him to do, to be obedient. Um, The type of strength that we need to prevail is not one of physical strength. Um, You know, we have Clay out there tonight, praise God, doing security. He's a very strong man, right? Um, Peter was clearly a strong man. He went, um, he was the only disciple that followed Jesus to the high, the high priest's court when Jesus was being questioned by the high priest. He was the only one that was courageous enough to go there. 
But as soon as he began being questioned about whether he was with Jesus or not, he denied it because there was fear there. Our flesh is weak, and in order for us to prevail in the place of love near the end of the age, we have to um, have that divine exchange happen in the place of prayer. So it doesn't matter how strong we are in the natural or how courageous we are or how bold we are. Um, we're, uh, love is going to be tested. Our obedience is going to be tested. Um, and that's why Jesus commands us to pray. All right. Well, and I said this, you might be thinking, well, I'm not going to face death like Peter and Jesus did. And maybe you won't. But I know for a fact, each one of us here has temptations in our life that seem too big and we're trying to overcome. And I just want to say that the way that we overcome our temptations, again, it's in the place of prayer. That has to be part of our tool belt in order to overcome the temptations that we're facing. All right. Okay. I don't know. I have 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I should do. Okay. We're going to go into uh, Luke 21. We'll also be bouncing around in Matthew 24. Okay, so talking about humanity's last hour. <clears throat> so the context of this passage, I read it earlier when Jesus said, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. So um, just a little bit of context to this passage, starting in um, Luke 19, we have Jesus coming in um, the triumphal entry, okay? He's coming into Jerusalem. All the crowds are worshiping him. They're so thankful for him. They're saying, Hosanna, um, glory to God in the highest. Like, this is our Messiah. Um, that's in Luke 19, starting at verse 28. So the people praise Jesus. The Pharisees rebuke Jesus and tell him to stop the crowds from, from crying out to him. And he says, well, if they don't cry out, then the rocks will, Okay. And at that point then, because the Pharisees are re rebuking him, he begins to weep over Jerusalem because it's the religious leaders and the political leaders that are denying the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he makes a prophecy. He said, you, the, the city of Jerusalem is going to be surrounded and destroyed because you didn't know that I was here in your midst. After that, Jesus goes into the temple and cleanses the temple a second time declaring that his father's house is meant to be a, a house of prayer. Um, and then the next several days after that, this is before the Passover meal, um, Jesus teaches in the temple several times. And the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they all come to him different times and try to, and question him about different topics. So they question him about the resurrection. They question him about taxes. They question him about his authority. Um, so Jesus is teaching, but they keep interrupting him and they're trying to um, trap him essentially and find something wrong with him, find a fault that they can then um, arrest him. And it's in this context then, um, in verse 5, 
So again, Jesus had been teaching in the temple a few days. It says, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And then he begins to teach them about different signs that they should look for. Um, Going down in verse 20, he says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. So great distress upon the earth. Um, in, In verse 25 then, it says, There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. That sounds a little bit like Psalm 46. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaking, shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So parallel passages to this, meaning it's the same story or the same rendition, is Matthew 24 and Mark 13. So you can go and read those. It has a little bit different flavor there. Um, In Matthew 24 specifically, Jesus says, then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Like this is a really intense thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying that This time that he's talking about on the earth is going to be so severe. There has never been a time like it on the earth. In the world wars, so many people thought the world was going to end at that time. In World War II alone, 50 million people died. 50 million. Okay, we have, I don't know what the current statistics are for the earth's population. I think it's like 8 billion. When you read the book of Revelation... It specifically says that there's coming a time when, when the fourth seal is open that a quarter of the earth's population is going to die. Then it goes on to say that during the sixth trumpet, another third of the earth's population is going to die. What is one-fourth of eight billion? Okay, good, thanks. I'm not a math person. <laughs> so then you have six billion. What's a, a third, then, of six billion? Okay, so then you have four billion people. Half of the Earth's population, in the book of Revelation is prophesying, is going to perish away. When you look at what Isaiah 24 said, the Earth being emptied and laid waste, I believe that this is what it's talking about. There these things that, that, that are coming upon the Earth because of our sin um, and because of God's just judgment against this beast antichrist figure that needs to be brought down, he's going to be doing things that's really going to cause a lot of fear 
if we don't know how to care for our hearts. Um, I want to go, I'm going to read this real fast as well. Uh, Daniel 12, because I believe this is talking about the same period of time. Uh, Daniel 12 says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. It's talking about Israel. There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel, way before Jesus was talking about this time, he's saying a time was coming that it's going to be the worst time for the Jewish people, but they're going to be delivered. And in that context, it's going to be in the context of the resurrection from the dead happening. I believe this, it's talking about the same time period right before the Lord's return. Again, these really intense things coming upon the earth. And the whole reason of why I'm saying that is because the, what Jesus tells us to in that context then. If it's true, if all these things that Jesus is saying are coming upon the earth, again, we, we looked at Psalm 46. I just quoted a couple things from Revelation. <laughs> I'm going really fast here. Uh, we read Isaiah, bits of Isaiah 24. But if that's true, then when he tells us in Luke 2134, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Means that there's something that's coming upon the earth that if we're not paying attention in the place of prayer and watching our hearts, it's like a trap. And and so I don't know if any of you have had a season of bitterness. I have. You cannot see straight. You can't see people correctly. You can't see situations correctly. You don't perceive things the way that you should when your heart is in bitterness and unforgiveness. So when Jesus is talking about don't let your hearts be weighed down, we need to pay attention to, and, and that's, that's another thing. When, when our hearts are offended at other people, when they're weighed down by fear of the cares of this life, well, well that's, sorry, I said that weird when our hearts are in bitterness or frustration at other people, and when we're worried about the cares of this life, that's what happens. Our heart gets weighed down, right? And then that's when glorious things happen, like you come into church and someone prays for you, and all of a sudden like something lifts off and things just look different and life is happy again. You're like, well, what happened? What happened was God did something, some kind of transference in your heart, and you begin to think differently. You begin to perceive other people differently. You begin to perceive your circumstances differently. And that's what happens in the place of prayer. Sometimes we have people pray for us and it happens, but Jesus is saying to us, you watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And I don't, again, he's not trying to make us scared. He's just saying like, hey, look, my plan to bring us into the next age, it's already been written. Again, Psalm 46, that was from David. Isaiah 24, that was hundreds of years ago. Um, and from the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain. And he, had a, 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 he knew he was going to renew the heavens and the earth. Well, this is just part of the process. This is part of the process that we're going through. So he's not trying to make us scared. He's just trying to tell us like, hey, we need to pay attention here. Um, 
and this is going to happen to the whole earth, but I care about you. So I'm telling you that you need to watch yourself. You need to pray and we need to take care of ourselves. That's why I believe he gave us the Lord's prayer that has all those daily things that we should be paying attention to declaring who the Lord is and offering forgiveness and trusting him with our provision. He says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. We need spiritual strength in order to make it through all the things that are coming and have our hearts burning um, with love. Because what is natural? I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to plow through this. What is natural? He talks about dissipation. Which Does anybody know what that is? I looked it up. I was kind of shocked. <laughs> Because dissipation and drunkenness sounded like the same thing to me. Dissipation, that Greek word, it says it's giddiness and a headache caused by drinking wine in excess. That's a hangover. <laughs> you get giddy first and then you just have a headache because you, you have a hangover, right? Um, drunkenness is intoxication. So the Merriam-Webster defines that as being affected by alcohol or drugs, especially to the point where physical and mental control is markedly diminished. Has any of you been really angry and upset before? That alters your mental state. I know that this might be a stretch for some of you, but being in a state of anger, you cannot think straight. To me, that's a level of intoxication that happens in people's hearts. And so if we are given over to anger and bitterness, I, again, I don't think we can think straight. Um, and it's a, it's a measure of intoxication that we can have. Or even now, today, we know that pornography alters the brain. It chemically alters the human brain. That's a measure of drunkenness because you are not able to think the way that you should be if you weren't addicted to that. Um, the cares of this life, cares or anxieties. So we have to pay attention to the things that cause our hearts to be full of anxiety, to be weighed down with cares. Um, First Peter says, we are supposed to cast our cares upon the Lord. Cast our cares upon the Lord. If we are in drunkenness, we don't have sobriety of spirit to connect with the Father. If we are full of anxiety for the things in this life, we will be too shaken when things really begin to fail. He tells us the heavens themselves will be shaken. So, again, I, I, I look at this with hope because I look at every single day and every single thing that I have to walk through as I'm learning how to pray more effectively, learning how to engage my heart with the Lord and, and overcome in the place of prayer. I look at that as I'm gaining strength for greater trials ahead, right? Um, so we don't have to be scared as we read these things. I know a lot of people, um, they don't like to read these passages. They don't like to read the book of Revelation uh, because they don't want to look at the severity of the things that are spoken there. But I believe that we need to and we should, and we can just trust that our Father's good. He put them in the word for a reason, and he wants us to go forth in victory. And the way that he's commanded us to do that is through the place of prayer. And every single trial and every single difficult thing that we face today or relational tension that we encounter today can be a means by which we're strengthened in the place of prayer and learn how to gain strength. Um, I want to finish 
with this just as a way of reminding us. Um, Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31, and then I'm going to read Ephesians 3. Isaiah 40 says, He, God does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I get the picture of the Lord like literally coming behind us and like lifting us up, you know. Um, That happens by waiting upon him in the place of prayer. Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 16, this is Paul's prayer for the church. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We need spiritual strength. (laughs) We need spiritual strength for the sake of love, because love is going to continue to be tested more and more. Um, Again, Jesus said, betrayal, hatred towards one another is going to increase. So we have to learn how to pray and how to receive the Holy Spirit's strength to learn how to love. Praise God. That is all I have for you tonight. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to pray. So Lord Jesus, um, God, I, I do, I just pray, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray, God. Teach us how to um, surrender. Surrender our own will in the place of prayer. Teach us how to receive your strength in the place of prayer. Teach us how, God, to lay down offenses and cares and frustrations in the place of prayer. God, teach us how to receive your perspective as we come to you. God, we desire to be a people that is filled with the love of Christ, who who understands the length and width and depth and height of your love for, for one another. So God, I just ask that you would teach us to pray. Help us, oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 